0: church. Good morning. My name is Caleb Hickson. I am delighted to be here with you guys, so thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors at the Paradox Church in downtown. Uh, Ricky had come to a Plant Fort Worth uh, luncheon, which Plant Fort Worth is an organization that is all about seeing more churches in Fort Worth planted, where um, I have been a resident for the last year and a half. And I got to, to share a little bit about my heart for where I think God is is calling me and my family to, Lord willing, plant a church on the south side of town in uh, January of twenty five, so next January. Uh, and when Ricky heard that, he was like, "Yo, dude, you gotta you gotta come, you gotta come speak to, to my church." Um, and so I, I'm I'm really really grateful and thankful that you guys would have me here. Uh, I'm grateful for 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 Ricky for sharing the stage with me. And so um, listen, I, I I've got a lot that I wrote down. <laughs> And so um, I don't want to take too much time. I just want to jump in. But, but before we do, I, I do want to just go to the Lord in prayer. So if you guys would join me and, and pray for me as, as we uh, open God's word. Lord, we, we thank you. God, we thank you for, for the fact that we get to gather here. Lord, we thank you that, that you've given us your word. We thank you that, that we can come to you. God, that the, the great high priest that Ricky was talking about earlier has made a way for us to come and be with you. And so, Spirit, we ask that you would be with us today, that you would open our hearts you would open our minds and our ears to be able to, to receive what you would have for us in this particular moment, in this particular place and time. God, we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, so I have three kids. I actually have a picture of my family that I wanted wanted to share with you guys. I needed to get that out of the way. Uh, this is my family. Um, we we are just uh, just a, just a hot mess right now because my my oldest. Daughter is seven, my son is five, and my youngest is two, and I, I love my kids to, to, to actual death. Like They are the greatest thing in the world. They're the sweetest, best, greatest part of my life. While parents, you can also attest to this, they're the hardest, most difficult part of my life as well. Uh, but that's, that's parenting. And, and one of the things that I've learned in parenting is that you always are constantly disciplining your kids. There is not a day that goes by in our household that we are not engaging in some sort of disciplinary conversation with our kids. And and, and listen, I, I'm not here to, to, to tell you guys how to discipline your kids. That's not my place. It's between you and the Lord. But but one of the things that I've learned recently in, in our disciplining of our kids that has just struck me in a profound way I wanted to, to share with you guys today. Because, because you, you know Again, parents, if, if, you, if you have parented for any amount of time, you, you know that your parenting is basically just a, a mirror of your spiritual life. Like God continually uses my parenting to, to teach me more about him and his heart because he calls himself the great father. And so one of these, one of these days, it just blew my mind. My, my five-year-old son, Henry, he's adorable. He has nicknamed himself. He's taken his middle name and he's given himself a new middle name. He calls himself now Henry Hot Wheel Hickson. <laughs> He, he's basically a little me walking around, right? We love him, but he's also a bit feisty, right? Henry's a little bit feisty, um, and that's, that's just his, his default. Despite me having told him countless times, hey, hey, buddy, it's not okay for you to hurt your sisters when you feel frustrated. It's, it's not okay for you to, to hit when you feel mad. If you cross Henry, you're going to feel it, right? Like when, when Henry hits, because it's not an if, it's a when, Lord willing, we're going to get to the day when it's if, but right now it's a win. When. when Henry hits, he knows that he takes a break. So either myself or my wife will, will go and take a break with him where we will sit with him for as long as we can to try to get him out of his emotions, out of this state of being so angry and frustrated that he can't help but throw hands and, and get him to, back to a place where he can take a deep breath and then come back and ask for forgiveness. But the thing that blew my mind was, when, when, when I would go and take a break with Henry and we would get him, I'd get him calm and we'd come back into the living room with my family before, before Henry could do anything, before he could say anything, my wife would say, welcome back, Henry. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, welcome back. I mean, you were in your room and now you're in the living room. So that's, that's whatever. But then it happened again. The next time Henry throws hands, we go take a break. And then he comes back and my wife says, welcome back, Henry. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. So, so I, I followed up with her. and I was like, okay, so Liv, why, why are you saying welcome back to Henry? Like that, I, I love that. I'm for that. I'm not against it, but, but why are we saying welcome back to Henry? And she, she explained to me, she was like, I want Henry to feel before he can say anything, before he can ask for forgiveness, before he can atone for his sins, I want him to feel welcome back into community. I want him to feel restored back into the community of our family before he can do a single thing. And so when, when I heard this, it just like blew my mind because I realized that I'm Henry running around making a mess of my life with my sin, hurting people left and right. And before I can come and do a single thing to be forgiven, God looks at me and says, welcome back, Caleb. He, he looks at me and says, welcome back, He restores our relationship before I can do a single thing to earn it. And that's exactly who Jesus is. That's exactly why I love the passage that we're going to read today is because Jesus's heart is one of mercy that restores us. The road back to Jesus is not a road of morality, but it's a road of mercy. And for those of us in the family of God, we've all experienced what it's like this side of being in the family of God to to mess up, to disobey, to sin in our life. And so the question that we have to ask today is what happens when we sin? How How do we think about God when we sin? Do we think that God's disappointed in us? Do we think that he's ready to, to lecture us do we think that that we need to clean ourselves up before we can even approach him? and and I would say honestly more importantly, how do we think God thinks about us when we sin? How does God look at us? in, in John 21 we've got this great story that Ricky introduced to us this morning about how Jesus has breakfast with his disciples on the beach. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read John 21, verses 15 through 19. If you've got your Bibles, I, was, I would encourage you to, to turn there as well. Oh, look at that. We've got it on the screen. Amazing. It's on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. But John 21, starting in verse 15. I'm gonna read from the ESV. It says, when, when they had finished breakfast, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And he said, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So before we, we dive into this passage, it's important to understand the context of what's going on here. So earlier in the, the chapter, John depicts a scene where, where Jesus' Jesus' disciples go fishing after Jesus' death. Jesus had already revealed his resurrected body to his disciples, but he was, he was kind of in and out. He wasn't there with them all the time after he was resurrected. He, he would just pop up in a room, say a word, and then poof, gone. And then he would just show up randomly at, at these these times, but he, but he was, he was, he was with them, but, but not all the time. And so one day Peter's sitting around and he decides, Hey man, I'm going to go fishing. This is what I do. This is what I know. I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go fishing. And some of his other bros are like, yeah, man, I'll come too. And so even though they're professional fishermen, right? Like this is what they know and what they've done for a living. They, they, they cannot catch a single fish that night that they go out fishing. They're, they are fishing all night long and they can't catch anything. Until they saw a man on the shore who asked them if they had caught anything, to which I'm going to be honest with you, I just kind of think that like these professional fishermen were like, really, bro, like you're going to do this to us right now? Like we just all night long and now you're going to come at me and be like, yo, you you caught anything? And so they respond, no, we've not caught anything. And so the man on the shore being Jesus says, why don't you, you toss your your nets on the other side of the boat? And at this point, I got to think that the disciples are starting to be like, whoa, 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 this, this sounds familiar. This reminds me of something. So they they toss their nets on the other side of the boat. All of a sudden, so many fish that they can't bring it up into the boat. And now it's starting to click. John looks at Peter and he says, this is the Lord. And when, when, when John looks at Peter and says, this is the Lord, what does Peter do? How does he respond? Puts on his tunic and jumps out of the boat and begins to swim to Jesus on the shore. He swims to Jesus on the shore. Because... This is the exact same scene that we read about in Luke 5 when Jesus first called Peter. And this is immensely important because of what is about to transpire. Jesus is recreating the scene of when Peter was first called to be his disciple. He's recreating the scene. Now, now why would Jesus go to such great lengths to do this? Why didn't he just be like, "Hey guys, it's Jesus. I've got some fish. Come have breakfast." Like, why would, he, why would he stop down to do this for him? Well, it's because, because of what Ricky was talking about earlier, how, how we, we know that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus going to the cross, Peter denies him three times, that he even knows Jesus. And, and up until this point, Peter and Jesus have not been able to get right. Up until this point, their relationship is still a little bit fractured. And so Jesus goes to these great lengths to recreate his initial calling to Peter. And then when when Peter gets to the shore, it says, it's really interesting, it says in the the text that, that there was a charcoal fire that Jesus had made. The only other time that charcoal fire is mentioned is at the time when Peter denied him. And so literally Peter gets on shore and he begins to smell that same scene. He, his memories are flooded with the smell of when he denied him. Peter's reminded that he has sinned and that his relationship with Jesus is fractured. We don't know how long after his resurrection that this was, but enough time had passed for Peter to actually be willing to jump out of a boat to come to Jesus. Jesus. This is the first key, and when we've sinned, we do what Peter does, and he comes to Jesus. Peter doesn't wait in the boat. The, 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 it says the rest of the disciples they 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 took the boat to shore. Like they were coming, but Peter says, "I'm not going to wait on you. I'm going to Jesus as fast as I can." Is when we sin, and listen to me, Christian. We will. We have some of you might be sinning right now. I don't know. You might want to think about what it looks like for you to come to Jesus. Because our sin relationally separates us from God. Let me be clear. Your, your salvation is not in question. I, I use the, the, the word relationally very intentionally here because, because your sin, this side of salvation doesn't separate you from God for eternity, but what it does is it actually plays a, a, a factor in your relationship with Jesus, your friendship with Jesus, Think of it this way, right? Anybody gotten to do a fight with their mom and dad? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not looking for, uh, for, for volunteers here. What about uh, husband and wife? Any, any fights happened? No, never. Of course. Of course not. When, when you fight, there's something that comes between you and the other person. Your relationship is fractured. Now, Lord willing, there's going to be forgiveness and reconciliation on the other side of that fight, but in the middle of it, are you any less a son or a daughter if you're in a fight with your mom or dad? Are you any less a husband or wife if you're in a fight with your spouse? No, your your status, your identity does not change because of what you're experiencing. And so it is with Jesus. When you sin, you are still a blood-bought son or daughter of the Most High King, but in that moment, your relationship has been fractured. Yes, you need reconciliation, and praise God that even when we sin, Jesus made a way for that reconciliation, Jesus made a way for us to come to him, but hear this, we must come. Jesus says in Matthew 11, to come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. The call, the first thing that we have to do when our relationship with Jesus is fractured is we have to come to him. Peter in our story has already been called by Christ. He's already been welcomed as a disciple. He has confessed that Jesus is Lord in Matthew 16. His salvation isn't in question. His identity is not at stake here. The issue here isn't whether or not he is a son, he is. But the issue is what happens when sons disobey? What happens when children, when we as Christians sin? What happens? When we sin, there are a few ways that we can respond. And listen, I'm I'm using the the term sin. Um, All sin means is missing the mark. Sometimes in in culture, we can get offended at this word sin, and you try to tell me that I'm a sinner. Somehow I'm like less than you. No, 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 listen. Scripture is clear that we are all sinners. We've all sinned fallen short of, of the, the example that Jesus has set. And so sin, is just literally means that we miss the mark of what God has called us to. And so we, we all fall into this boat. And so it's not a matter of whether or not you have sinned. You have. It is when we sin, there are a few ways that we can respond. We can try to dismiss sin. We can try to minimize sin. Or we can try to atone for sin. We can dismiss sin, minimize sin, or atone for sin. When, when we try to dismiss sin, we're, we're saying simply, yes, I've sinned, but listen, hey, nobody's perfect, right? No one's perfect. We're all sinning. I Sure, I've sinned, but you've sinned too, right? Let's just dimi- dismiss it and let's move on. We don't actually deal with the sin. We just simply say, we're all sinners, so what's the big deal, Right? When we minimize sin, we say, "Sure, it's a sin, but at least I didn't do what that guy did." I mean, did you hear about what John did last week? That was really bad. <laughs> Whoa. Like I, I'm not, I'm not like that, right? Like that's that's minimizing our sin. Or we can atone for our sin. We can say, "Man." Yeah, I've sinned, and so I need, to, I need to clean myself up before I can come to God and ask for forgiveness. I need to, to, to do a lot of good stuff. I need to serve. I need to probably bring some breakfast here on a Sunday morning. I got I to gotta do all this religious stuff so that then I can come to God and say, hey, look what I've done to show you that I'm, I'm still worthy of your forgiveness. We can try to atone for our sin. And let me be clear, all of these are terrible ways to deal with our sin. We cannot dismiss our sin Our sin fractures our relationship with Jesus. We cannot minimize our sin. Our sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. We cannot atone for our sin because Jesus did that for us on the cross. And so you are not able to do a single thing to forgive yourself. Only Jesus can. And still there's a, a final way that we can actually respond to our sin. We can, and what I've, to be honest with you, what I see a lot today is we Especially, so I'm, I'm a college pastor at our church. With our college students, this happens all the time. We can despair our sin. We can move from the guilt that comes with sin to the shame that the enemy heaps on us from our sin. Where, where guilt would say, yes, I've done wrong. Shame then says, not only have I done wrong, but I am wrong. Uh, it's, it's who I am. Guilt says Okay, I've messed up. Shame says I'm messed up. And friends, hear me. The grace of Jesus will never run out on you. No matter what you've done. John 6, 37 says, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The grace of Jesus cannot run out on you. When we struggle to come to Jesus because of our shame, we we can, with our shame, when it says that we are wrong, it, it it then tries to keep us from coming to Jesus. That's why it's so important that we come to him first, that we be like Peter and we come out of the boat. You can't imagine the shame that Peter must have felt. Can't imagine walking with Jesus And then denying him three separate times, the shame that he must have felt, and yet he doesn't sit in that boat. As soon as he sees his opportunity, he jumps in and goes to Jesus. When we feel shame, we can struggle to come to Jesus. But listen to that last phrase of John 6, 37. I will never cast out. You can say, but, but I'm a great sinner, Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, but I've continued to sin for a long time, Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, but I'm a hard-hearted sinner, Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, but I've, I've, I keep coming back to this sin, I can't get over this sin, Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, but I've got unforgiveness in my heart, Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, I've sinned against his mercy, Caleb. Jesus says, I will never cast out. You can say, but I don't have any good thing to bring with me. And Jesus says, I will never cast out. One author, um, when considering this phrase, I will never cast out, says this. He says, and it is, as it were, the sum of all promises, neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that you find yourself that this promise I will never cast out will not assoil. Now, a little confession. I had to look up what the word soil means because upon first reading, I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But then I read it again and I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, what is what is what exactly does soil mean? And so I Googled it. You're welcome. A soil means to absolve, acquit, pardon, and atone for. So let me read it again with uh, with that definition in there. There's no objection can be made upon the unworthiness that you find yourself in, that this promise will not absolve or acquit or have any objection, that this promise that Jesus will never cast out, that he will not pardon. Friends, listen to what the old Puritan preacher, Richard Sibbs says, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Let me say that again. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. He will never cast us out. And this is what's on display here. It's the mercy of Christ in this story with Peter. It's the heart of Christ and Peter runs to it. This is my first point. The road to restoration with Jesus is not marked by morality, but by mercy. And when we come to Jesus, we're not given a list of things to fix, but we're given mercy. This is exactly what Peter received. Peter gets to shore and Jesus is making breakfast tacos. So he pulls up a chair and he gets after it. And then after all of the disciples had finished eating their breakfast, finally we we get to where Jesus addresses Peter directly. So we see that, that first, before our, even, before our passage even starts, Peter receives mercy. Then next, Jesus reminds him of his identity. He reminds him that he is one who loves and is loved by God. Because while our identity does not change, sometimes we can forget it and we need to be reminded again. Now, let's read verses 15 through 17 again. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? and he said to him lord you know that you know everything you know that i love you and jesus said to him feed my sheep peter comes to jesus he receives mercy and then after jesus makes him breakfast he begins to ask him the same question 3 times now it's not hard to see what jesus is doing here first he restores that scene when he is first called into discipleship with Jesus and then he brings him to the the beach where he has the fire burning that smells just like when he denied him and he asks him three times just like he was asked three times. He's recreating Peter's denial. Jesus deliberately takes Peter back to that moment when he wavered. And the reason why he does this is because he's actively restoring him into right relationship once again. Jesus is reconciling his relationship because he knows that Peter denied him. He knows that he denied him three times, and so he asks him three times, do you love me? He gives them the opportunity to take the thing he did and undo it. This is mercy in action. Jesus knows exactly what Peter has done, and he loves him in many ways. When we sin, we often think that it's an offense against God. We kind of think, like, it, we, we think that it's similar to breaking the law. Anybody else feel like that? Like, you're just like, oops, we, we disobeyed the law. There's a penalty. I pay my fine, and I move on. Which is why for many of us, when we sin, we respond the way that we do. And to be sure, there, there are absolutely moral laws that we can break that are laid out in Scripture. But Christian, listen to me. Jesus says in John 15, 15, that I no longer call you servants, but friends. This is all important in our restoration process because to be restored to God is to not pay our fine for speeding. It's to not pay penance for what we've done it's not go through the training videos and atone for breaking the wall. No, the restoration process is relational. Go back to the garden. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, God walks in and he says, where are you to Adam and Eve? After they've done the one thing that he asked them not to do. And look, God knows where they are, right? Like he's God. He's not actually stumped. So then why does he ask the question? Why does God ask Adam and Eve the question? It's because they've hidden themselves from him relationally. They've withheld their relationship from him, their presence from him. When we sin, it's not the penalty for our sin that needs to be paid because the cross has receipts. It's finished. But you and I are not servants, we're friends. And when we sin, our relationship with Christ becomes fractured and our friendship with God takes a hit. This is why when Peter comes to Jesus, he asks him three times, Because he wants Peter to know that he is fully restored. And he wants to remind Peter of his truest identity. You see, sin wants you to believe that your sin is who you actually are. That you, at your core, are a sinner. But Jesus knows that he has paid the price for your sin. He has given you a new identity. And now you and I at our truest, deepest, most real level are no longer our flesh, but we are Christ. We are united with Christ. When Paul in the New Testament talks about Christians, he doesn't actually use the term Christian all that often. He uses those who are united with Christ. This is our truest identity. And so Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him, Jesus wants Peter to say it. He wants Peter to hear himself say it. And get this, friends, Jesus never once rebukes him. Jesus never once rebukes Peter when he says that you know that I love you. He never says, yeah, well, if you love me, you wouldn't have denied me those three times. right?" He never, he never goes back. He just says, tend my sheep. Point number two, Jesus reminds Peter that he is one who loves and is loved by God. He reminds Peter of his identity because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't act out of our truest identity. Sometimes we act out of other identities or we're trying to, to get other identities and we need to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. When you and I sin, we receive mercy. And then we're able to be reminded that we too, we wanderers, we backsliders are ones who are loved by God and ones who love God. Final point, look at verse 19. Look at the end of verse 19. The end of verse 19 has a two-word phrase that is all important. Jesus ends this interaction with these two words, follow me. Jesus recreates Peter's initial calling to follow him. He restores his friendship through mercy, reminds him of his identity, and then he finally reminds him of his calling to follow Jesus. Let's not miss the totality of this scene. It is not simply Jesus' words that restore Peter. It's his actions as well. He, he shares a meal with him. He engages him in conversation, and then he reminds him of his calling. Matt Carter, in his commentary of John, says this. He says, It is simple because Jesus boils down the Christian life into two words follow me. That's it. Follow Christ. Sometimes he will lead us to the mountaintop and sometimes through the valley. Will we follow him? For you and I, Christian, our calling is simple. It's not an easy calling but it is a simple calling, to follow Jesus. He leads, we follow. And so where in your life have you tried to take the reins? Where in your life have you tried to take the lead? If your life is a a dance with Jesus, are you leading or is he? Christian, we will sin and when we do, Jesus welcomes us back into communion through mercy. He not only takes our penalty of our guilt through the cross, but he also restores us from the shame it tells us. You see, guilt says that we did something wrong. Shame says that we are wrong. We must be bad. And yet the gospel tells us that Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. In the Old Testament, Israel would use a sacrificial lamb to atone for the people's sins. They would take one lamb and sacrifice it, sacrifice it to pay for the people's guilt. But then they would take another lamb and they would send it out of camp. They would send it away. This this lamb represents the people's shame. How God not only pays the penalty for our guilt, but then he also sends our shame away. How God pays the penalty for our guilt and then he sends our our sin away. Jesus is our propitiation for sin, and he's also our expiation of sin. And so today the call is the same call to Peter. It's to come. Come to him again and again and again, and he will in no way cast you out. He will never turn his back on you. But we get to come to him, receive his mercy, be reunited with your friend Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if it's hard for us to see Jesus as our friend. And yet it's not us who says that. It's him who says it to us. We we don't get to to call him friend. He calls us friend. And so we're able to be friends with him. It's not disrespect. It's not a a, a nonchalant way of approaching Jesus. It's an actual term of endearment that Jesus uses with us to try and draw us into close relationship with him. That we get to be like Peter. I love in this story how Peter jumps out of the boat because I gotta imagine that the boat was Peter's safe place. Like, like this, this was where he went to when things were a little unsure, the, the place where he was comfortable, secure, where he knew what to expect and he was good at it. But when he sees Jesus, he jumps out In your life, what's your boat? What are the things in your life that you hold on to that give you comfort? The things that when things are unsure you run to. When things are unsteady, you try to hold on to. Where is Jesus calling you to come to him today? Are you going to jump out of your boat? Or are you going to stay? Beauty of the gospel, friends, is that Jesus came to us first. He left heaven, he put on flesh, and he came to us so that we can come to him. I'll finish with, with this. I, I love how when I prepare for a sermon, the Lord loves to show me how this is not just a, a great teaching for other people, but it's actually for me as well. <laughs> Man, I, listen, I woke up Thursday morning and I was not in the greatest mood. I didn't sleep well the night before. And it only took about two minutes of my kids fighting for me to just lose it. Like, like, not even six o'clock in the morning and I'm already yelling at my kids. I I got angry and I sinned at my kids. By God's grace, I was able to apologize and ask for their forgiveness pretty quickly afterwards. But it was painfully obvious that I was in the wrong. Later that, way, that, later that morning on my drive into work, the Lord confronted me with the question, Caleb, do you love me? I'm sitting here preparing this sermon for you guys and God's like, Caleb, do you love me? Listen, I teared up a little bit in my car and I realized, man, I didn't just sin against my kids, but I sinned against God. And yet, there he was, with grace and mercy for me in the moment, waiting for me. I was able to come to him and be restored, receive his mercy. So my call to you today, church, is to be restored. Don't let your sin keep you from the Father anymore. One more quote over you, and then I'm going to pray. This is from Dan Ortland in his book Gentle and Lowly. He says, "For those united to Christ, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child." His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and the still waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. Pray with me. Father, I pray for my friends and I ask that you would you would be sweet be kind and gentle. That wherever we're at this morning, whatever we've done, whatever we've experienced, that we would trust that there is more mercy in you than sin in us. Father, we know from your word that you're waiting that you're ready, that you have mercy. And so I pray that we would turn back to you, that we would receive your mercy and be restored this morning, that we would sing from a place of restoration or for restoration, knowing that you will, you will never turn your back on us. We love you. Thank you for the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen.